Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. One year ago this week, CNN made an important announcement. All right, CNN, starting this morning, is calling the coronavirus outbreak a pandemic. Overnight, the U.S. death toll climbed to 22, a vast majority of those linked back to the life care... I remember being up all weekend in the lead-up to that announcement. You'll remember at the time, the CDC and the World Health Organization had not yet declared this a pandemic. The president was still saying this is all going to go away. So to make the call to go out there and say we are in a pandemic, everyone needs to prepare... It was a tough decision. The thing about pandemics, the thing about lots of illnesses, is that you don't always see it before it strikes you. By the time it actually starts manifesting, you're late. So you have to sort of be predictive of these things ahead of time. Two days later, the World Health Organization decided to make the same call. We're deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming levels of inaction. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. You know, it's pretty crazy to listen to these old clips. Back then, the WHO reported that 4,291 people around the world had died from COVID-19. Today, more than 2.6 million people are confirmed to have lost their lives to this virus. 2.6 million people died of a disease we hadn't even really defined a year ago. When we first called the spread of the virus a pandemic, one of the big concerns was that we would cause panic. But hearing those numbers now, frankly, maybe we weren't worried enough. At this one-year mark, I thought we should take a moment to reflect on the global response to the novel virus and also check in with the World Health Organization on what still lies ahead, what lessons have other countries learned? What will it take to bring this pandemic to an end? And how can we prevent it all from happening again? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. I didn't predict that this is where we would be. I don't think anyone predicted we would be in this type of situation and, and, and it'd be this bad. That's Maria Van Kerkhoff. She's an infectious disease epidemiologist and one of the key members of the World Health Organization's coronavirus response team. There will be a lot of questions that will be asked about what could have been different. And I think we need to ask those questions, but I think we need to get out of the current situation first. And I think we need to be learning every single day about what we can be doing better. I wanted to talk to Van Kerkhoff because she's had a bird's eye view of what's been going on on the ground all over the world this past year. I don't think people realize Mm. what WHO does. We work with 194 member states around the world. We issue guidance and advice to countries. We support countries in dealing with so many different infectious diseases and humanitarian crisis and and non-communicable diseases, and I could go on and on. WHO is trying to do what CDC is doing in every state, in every country. 
So I asked her, from her perspective, why did she think some of the most prosperous nations in the world, countries like the United States, why have they fared so poorly when many lower-income, more densely populated countries with fewer resources have done objectively better? I think in many wealthy countries, there is a lot of attention that's paid to advanced medicine, and that's good because we need that advancement. We need you know, the latest treatments to care for individuals. But in public health, it's more about prevention. You know, what do you do to prevent a situation from really taking hold as opposed to caring for those who are sick? And in many countries that fared better have a public health system in place. You hear us talk all the time about a public health infrastructure. And I now hear Western countries all the time talk about a public health infrastructure. We didn't hear that in the beginning of a pandemic. We heard we can handle this. You know, we've got great systems in place. We can handle this. And there's a bit of hubris, you know, in terms of people's confidence and their ability to handle things. But if one thing this virus has taught us is humility. So what will we do now? How will we use this experience to make sure that we have systems in place that put us in a better position for the next one? In the spirit of lessons learned right now, is there a country or a place that you sort of hold up and say, this is the correct response. This is how things should have been handled. One of the early countries I have a fondness for is Korea. And I spent some time in Korea during 2015, during the MERS outbreak there, where they had a horrible experience with an outbreak. And they, what they learned from that was to, to rebuild you know, their system and enhance their public health system, which was utilized during this pandemic. And in the situation in Korea, if you remember back in February when they were having that outbreak in the Daegu area with the churches, and they had a horrible outbreak and, and the case numbers were seemingly out of control. They enhanced their cluster investigation. They did screenings of testing. They ramped up their screening capacity, their testing capacity. They used quarantine effectively and they brought that outbreak under control. But at one point in time, it, it seemed almost impossible and they turned it around. And we have seen that happen in many countries. I can give you examples in Japan. I can give you examples in Cambodia and in Thailand and in Rwanda and in Nigeria and in South Africa. South Africa has had two large peaks. And even with the virus variant, the B1351 in South Africa, they've brought transmission down to the same level they were before the variant was detected. The resilience of people is what is encouraging. How worried are you about these long hauler type patients, you know, we, we, we tend to define things in terms of people who have lived and survived and people who have died. But even in people who seem to have had minimal symptoms initially, they still can have very lingering symptoms. And how, how much of a concern is that? It's a concern. This is one of the things I think that none of us really had anticipated to the extent to which it is. And in fact, we don't understand the full extent of this. We do know that individuals who've had severe disease will have some lingering effects because of the severe disease that they've had. But we are seeing longer term effects in people who have had very mild infection. We're seeing it among children. And so we are working with patient groups around the world. We're working with clinicians to set up cohort studies to understand long COVID and understand the extent of what this syndrome looks like and to make sure that we have the right rehab in place that covers all of the systems in the body that long haulers are dealing with. Uh, we met with some patient groups and they said, we need three things. We need recognition, we need research, and we need rehab. 
And they were right. And we've been working with them since to make sure that we have those systems in place because we don't have a grasp on the full extent of this. There's a lot of work to do as we think forward, as we plan this path forward. Reflecting on what you've just said, you know, what we know about the vaccine so far is that they seem to be incredibly good at preventing people from getting sick. I mean, basically zero hospitalizations at a month mark with the Johnson & Johnson trial, no deaths in those trials, pretty remarkable. But we're not so sure that they prevent people from becoming infected or even becoming mildly or moderately ill. Does that play a, a factor in, in your thinking about long COVID again? Could those patients who have been vaccinated still develop long COVID? We don't have the answer to that question yet. Right. And even your, your point about vaccines preventing severe disease and death and do they prevent against infection? Do they prevent against transmission? We don't have all those answers yet. And I think, I mean, for me, what we're trying to do, we're trying to think through 2021. We're trying to think through the different scenarios in which we can get through 2021. Right now, our interventions work. Our public health and social measures work. Our diagnostics works. Our vaccines work. But we could be in a situation where they don't. So we want it, we need to do everything that we can right now to stay the course. And I know you say this on your show a lot too. We have to make sure that people, every single person out there understands that your infection, your ability to prevent yourself from getting infected matters because we are not allowing the virus to spread. The more the virus spreads, the more it will change. And so while we expect there to be virus evolution, while we expect there to be virus variants, I also expect there to be people who are tired of this and want it to be over. I'm one of them. And I expect people to understand that we are all doing our best to find our path forward. And I expect everyone to be part of that solution, part of that path forward. We have a long way to go. And I think the biggest challenge I have from a communication standpoint is the time frame. You know, we keep moving the goalposts. Is it three more months? Is it six more months? Is it another year? And I think we need to think through the end of 2021. We are going to need to do these measures into 2021. How do you make the case to the average citizen in the United States that they should care about vaccinations everywhere around the world? Every life on this planet matters. Science has delivered several safe and effective vaccines. We have a responsibility, all of us, to make sure that those who need it most get it. And that is something that the COVAX facility is focusing on, to make sure that those vaccines reach the most vulnerable in every single country, as opposed to vaccinating every single person in a couple of countries. Because even in those countries that vaccinate, you will not be safe until the rest of the world is safe. So it is not only the right thing to do, but it's the epidemiologic right thing to do, the scientifically right thing to do, the moral thing to do. And finally, will there be an end to this? I mean, will, we, will we, there be a day when you and I say, okay, this is, this is in the rearview mirror now. It's over. And what does life look like, do you think? Do we already have glimpses of that from places around the world? We do. Yes, there will be a time where we will look back on this. There will be a time when this will be over. What that looks like will depend on, on what we do in the next couple of months, in the next six months, in the next eight months. I have glimmers of hope in many countries around the world. I look at Australia, I look at New Zealand, I look at places in China, I look in places in Japan, and I see societies that are opened up. I see sporting events that are happening. I see a resilient community that has driven transmission down in some situations to zero, but I see communities and governments that are at the ready. They have systems in place to be ready, to be aggressive, 
And they take very serious measures to make sure that any initial clusters in the country do not expand. And I see that as a future going forward. You know, we could be in a situation where the virus becomes endemic. That doesn't mean that it's everywhere all the time. It could mean that with vaccination and with public health and social measures that we drive that transmission so low that we see flare-ups. You know, I expect that we will see flare-ups going forward. It's all a matter of what we actually do when we see those flare-ups in place. What I don't want to see in the next three to six months is this seesawing of 100% lockdown, 100% open up. We need to calibrate these measures as we add vaccination into our strategies and adjust measures where and when needed. But I see glimmers of hope uh, in many parts of the world. You heard Van Kerkhoff. We're going to get through this. The pandemic will come to an end. We can already see glimpses of what that future may look like, and that end for us is also already in sight. I know it's been an incredibly challenging year for everyone. It's going to take time to get answers to all of our questions about the transmission of the virus and the best treatments for long haulers. Frankly, it's going to take a lot of time to just process from a mental health standpoint all that we have been through as a global community. Sometimes we don't get to process it enough in the moment, but that time will come and I'll be there with you for that as well. The good news is that reducing transmission of the virus is still and always has been within our control. When you get the chance, get any of the vaccines available, but also continue to follow public health guidance. Wear a mask, wash your hands, keep your distance, because all of that still very much matters. As always, we'll keep you posted on all the latest developments. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.